Good morning, church. Thank you so much for being part of our online worship assembly this morning. I hope and pray that you're doing well. I am so excited about next week. I know that you heard the announcement earlier by Brother Mark Bryson that next week, if the Lord is willing, we will be meeting for a worship service in our parking lot. And I hope that many of you are able to be there. And I can't wait to see your faces and worship God with you. For the last few weeks, we've been doing a series called At Home as in Heaven. And we've been talking about family from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And by the way, to all of our dads, Happy Father's Day. And from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we've been talking about family, we've been talking about the home, and we've been talking about being a family that is a little piece of heaven right here in our neighborhood, being a little embassy of God's kingdom right here in our community, right here in our towns, right here in our neighborhoods. What does it look like? And what does it mean to be a household a family, a home that is praying, God, Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my home as it is in heaven. No matter how big or how small your family is, whether it's just you in your household or maybe you have a lot of people in your household, no matter how big or small, these lessons that we've been looking at from Matthew chapter 5 all apply to our families, our households, to the people that are praying, Father, we want to be your citizens, citizens of your kingdom. We want to be little outposts of the kingdom, little embassies of the kingdom in every single neighborhood in which we live. And so we've been talking about these principles that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount, been talking about what does it look like to be these kinds of kingdom families. September 11th, 2001. I know that for everybody that was alive at that time, you remember that date. And I know you probably, like me, you remember exactly how you felt when you saw footage of the Twin Towers on fire and falling down. I remember that probably for the first time in my life, my heart had never been so full of sadness and anger, fear, hatred, pride, vengeance, vengeance. I, I, I didn't just want justice. I wanted vengeance. I, I didn't just want the people who had planned and perpetrated this evil on our people, on our nation, on our cities. I didn't just want the people who had planned it to go to prison. I wanted them all to pay. I wanted them all to suffer. My heart was filled with vengeance. And I wish I could say that that was the only time in my life that my heart has been filled with vengeance. It's probably the fullest that my heart had ever been full of that sort of feeling, but it's probably not the only time where my heart has been filled with fear and anger and revenge. 
Probably every time that someone has ever said something to me or done something to me or hurt me in one way or another or disappointed me in one way or another, I felt even just a twinge of that kind of frustration and sadness and fear and anger and maybe even from time to time, vengeance. I want them to pay. But I I don't hurt, and I haven't hurt the way some people in the world have been hurt. I I read this week a story that comes from 2005, a man named Johanna Catanaccio. Johanna was a Christian, a Palestinian, who lived in Israel. Now, imagine that. Imagine someone who is ethnically Arab, who is a follower of Jesus religiously, and who lives in Israel, in Jerusalem specifically. So Johanna faced persecution and hurt and pain and being ostracized and being harassed by people for lots and lots of different reasons. But one of the most dangerous things that he had to endure was from Israeli troops who would stop Palestinians and would harass Palestinians and even from time to time shoot Palestinians because they were suspected terrorists. So all of the time, Johanna Catanacho dealt with people stopping him and harassing him and trying to get and have them have him show his ID card all of the time from the Israeli troops that were patrolling and looking for terrorists. And as a follower of Jesus, Johanna Catanacho really, really struggled with this idea of loving his enemies. He read it and he saw what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But as somebody who was constantly harassed and constantly mistreated because of his religion or because of his ethnicity or because of where he lived, he really, really, really struggled with the idea of loving his enemies. We'll come back to Mr. Catanacho's experience and his story in just a little bit, but I want to ask you this question. How do we identify our family's enemies? Who are your family's enemies? And you might say, well, we don't have any enemies. We don't have any enemies. Well, then it's pretty hard to do what Jesus tells you to do, isn't it? If Jesus says to love your enemies, who, who are those people to you? Who are your family's enemies? You might start by asking, you know, who, who is it that our family doesn't like? Are there any people that our family just doesn't like? Or maybe the people that don't like our family? Or you might even ask questions like, who do we hate? But, but then you'd probably say, well, we don't hate anybody. We love everybody. We don't hate anybody. So how do you identify your family's enemies? If we're going to be kingdom families, if we're going to be households that are trying and praying for God's will to be done in our homes as it is in heaven, and Jesus says what that looks like, part of what that looks like is loving your enemies, then we have to identify who are my enemies. And if you can't come up with a list of people by asking who do I not like or who doesn't like me or who do I hate, how about this question? Who do we 
fear? Who do you fear? Who does your family fear? You might think we don't hate anybody, but do you fear anyone? Maybe it's somebody that you fear who might hurt you. That's a possibility. Are there people in your life that you're afraid they might hurt you? They might hurt people like you. Maybe it's that kind of a fear, a fear of physical harm. But maybe it's a a fear of financial harm. Maybe you're afraid that if these people get their way, if that person gets his way, if this person is elected to office, or if this person is a leader, or if this person gets what he's after, then I will suffer financially. Maybe you're afraid of what you might lose to this person or to these people. Maybe you're afraid that these people might change something. Maybe you're afraid that these people are going to change something that you like. You like the way things are and you're afraid. You're afraid that these people are going to change something and you fear them for the change that they want to bring about. Or or maybe you want things to change and you're afraid that these people will keep things from changing. Who do you fear? That's one of the best ways for us to identify our enemies. Who do you fear? Maybe you fear people of a certain political party. Maybe you fear people of a certain political ideology. Maybe you fear people on the right or you fear people on the left. Maybe you fear people that think this way or fear people that think that way. Maybe you fear people of a certain ethnicity. Maybe you fear people of a certain nationality. Maybe you fear people of a certain religion. Maybe you fear Muslims. Maybe you fear atheists. Who do you fear? And I'm, I'm not here to say that your fears are unfounded. I'm not going to tell you that your fears are unfounded. Maybe, maybe your fears are well-founded. Maybe the people that you fear might end up doing the very thing that you're afraid that they might do. So I'm not here to say your fear of that person or your fear of those people that think a certain way or live a certain way or act a certain way or want a certain thing. I'm not here to tell you not to be afraid of them. I'm not here to tell you that your fear of them is unfounded. But I do want us to explore. What does Jesus say you should do with the people you're afraid of? What does Jesus say you should do about the people you're afraid of? How does Jesus tell you to treat the people you're afraid of? There are Chances are people in your life, whether you know them personally or you just see them on television, that you're afraid of. And Jesus teaches you what to do about the people you fear. So let's listen to the words of Jesus and implement them in our homes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we know that. That was part of the, the law, the civil law of Israel. 
that God put in place through Moses, the law of Moses. This was part of the civil law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that may sound like a vengeance law, but really, really, that law existed to curtail retaliation rather than condone retaliation. Let me say that again. This law existed to curtail retaliation rather than condone retaliation. It wasn't to legalize revenge. It was to limit revenge. It was to limit the consequences of a crime. It was so that the crime, that the punishment rather, wouldn't exceed the crime. If someone kills your goat, you can't kill them. If someone takes your cow, you can't kill their brother. The punishment for a crime cannot exceed the crime. And I think the very fact that this had to be part of the law of Moses reveals human character and nature because this is how retaliation tends to work. This is how revenge tends to work. This is how punishment tends to work. We don't just want to get even. We want them to suffer more than we suffer, don't we? We want them to pay, and we don't just want them to pay whatever they did or whatever they took or however much they hurt us. We want them to pay more. And that's what human beings tend to do. Not just to even the scales, but to one-up the other person. I think about the book of Judges. I think about how the book of Judges ends If you haven't read the book of Judges lately, go read the book of Judges. You'll see this is human character, where somebody does something bad to you, and you not only do the same thing back to them, you do worse. And then it starts and perpetuates a cycle that never, ever ends. And these kinds of laws weren't there to condone retaliation, but were to curtail retaliation so that a judge so that a court, so that those who were in charge in Israel would make sure that the punishment never exceeded the crime because human nature, human nature says, if you wrong me, I'm going to wrong you back even worse. And nothing, nothing could be more carnal, more natural than that sort of feeling. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? that sense of retaliation and revenge and vengeance and anger, afraid, afraid that if I don't pay them back, if I don't give them worse than they gave to me, then I'm going to lose everything that I have. And so I have to make them pay. But all throughout the law and the prophets, There were reminders that vengeance doesn't belong to you. There's a time for a court of law to step in and punish a criminal, but vengeance doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. Because we're not very good at doling out vengeance. We don't just want an eye for an eye. We want to give them worse than they gave to us. And here Jesus raises the bar even higher for us. For those of us that would be citizens of his kingdom, for those of us that would have households that are little embassies, little outposts of the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods, he calls us to an even higher standard than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And this is what verse 39 says. But I say to you, 
I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You might read that. And Jesus saying, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn, let him slap the other cheek. And and you might summarize that by saying, Jesus is saying, don't retaliate. But I'd say, no, it's more than that. It's more than just don't retaliate. Jesus tells his people, you are going to be so radically different than the rest of the world. Your homes, your households, you people, you are going to be so radically different than the rest of the world. Here's what you're going to do. Instead of retaliating the way the world retaliates, instead of slapping the people who slap you and taking from the people that take from you and getting back at the people that got to you, here's what you do. You retaliate with radical generosity. What? What? Retaliate with generosity. Some Roman soldier comes up to you and says, listen, it's the law. You have to carry my pack and go with me for a mile. And you say, no, thank you, sir. I'd rather go too. Let me go an extra one with you. I'll carry your pack for another mile. Can you imagine what it was like in ancient Israel? What it was like for the disciples of Jesus? Like our friend that we talked about a minute ago, Johanna Catanacho. These followers of Jesus lived in a world where they faced opposition and persecution from Jewish brothers and sisters who had joined forces with the Romans and were gathering taxes from them. They faced opposition and harassment from the Roman soldiers themselves and from the Roman governors themselves. They faced opposition from the Pharisees and the scribes who were the the purity police. And everywhere they turned, People would harass them and take from them and push them and spit on them and slap them. And Jesus doesn't just say, don't retaliate. That'd be hard enough. Jesus says, retaliate with generosity. When they take from you, give them more. (laughs) When they force you to go a mile, go with them an extra mile. And we might say, well, listen, this kind of specific stuff never happens to me. Nobody slaps me on the right cheek. So I guess this doesn't apply to me. Or nobody forces me to go a mile. This is a different context. Those kind of things never specifically happen to me. Yes, they do. Maybe that, not that exact thing. But people do these sorts of things to you. And, and you're afraid that they will. Aren't you? I am. I'm afraid. I'm afraid that someone might take something from me. I'm afraid that someone might hurt me. I'm afraid somebody might change something that I don't want changed. Or I'm afraid that somebody might keep something the same that I want changed. I'm afraid sometimes, church, aren't you? And Jesus says, here's what you do when you're afraid that someone might take from you, when you're afraid that someone might hurt you, when you're afraid that someone might change something that doesn't need to be changed or keep something the same that needs to be changed, here's what you do. Give to them. 
meet them with radical generosity. Love them. Keep reading in the text. Verse 43, which says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The the law of Moses never said that. Never said to hate your enemy, but that was the assumption, right? Love your neighbor, and then what do you do with your enemy? You hate your enemy. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows you love your neighbor and you hate your enemy. And we say things like that all the time, don't we? Oh, oh, we don't say hate, right? We say, well, hate, when I was growing up, we always said, hate is a strong word. That's a strong word. Even if you said, like, I hate pizza, or I, I hate tax day, or I hate this TV show, we'd say, oh, don't say hate. That's a strong word, right? But we essentially hate people sometimes, don't we? Because we're so afraid of them. We loathe them. And we say, oh, well, I like the people that like me, and I respect the people that show me respect, and I respect people who earn my respect, but you have to earn my respect. And if you don't earn my respect, then I don't have to love you. And if you're not a likable person, I don't have to like you. And if you don't treat me well, then I don't have to treat you well. Nonsense. That's the way of the world. That's what everybody thinks. That's what other households say. That's what other families do. But Jesus-following families have to live a different sort of way. Jesus says, everybody else says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love them. Pray for them. And when Jesus says love them, he he doesn't just mean have a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart for them. Jesus isn't necessarily commanding you to change your affections. He's telling you to change your behavior. Treat them with love. Well, what does that look like? Well, Paul says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't rude. It isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrong. It's kind. To whom? People that are kind to you? Sure, yeah. Them, too, but also the people that are unkind. The people you're afraid of. The people whose ideology you can't stand. The people that are wrong. The people that if they get their way, you're going to lose what you have. The people that if they get their way, you're going to suffer. And you say, Wes, how can you? It's real easy for you to talk like... No, wait, wait. This is Jesus talking in the first century to first century disciples who were living in Roman-occupied Israel and who were dealing with harassment and persecution and enemies on every side, people that they had legitimate things to fear from them, things I cannot even begin to imagine. And I'm not telling you this because I don't struggle with it. I'm telling you this because this is what our Lord says to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Jesus anchors this commandment in the nature and the character of God. Let me say that again. 
Jesus anchors his command for you to love your enemies in the character and the nature of God. Why? Because God gives reign to both the evil and the righteous. To the good and those who do good things and love him and are good people and to the people that are horrible, wicked people. Do you, do you realize that? That every atheist who curses God and says, if there is a God, I don't want to believe in him. If there is a God, I wouldn't follow him. If there is a God, I don't want anything to do with him. God gives them air to breathe. And blood coursing through their vein. And rain on their head. And food to eat. And water to quench their thirst. God provides for them and nourishes them and keeps them alive. He loves them. And Jesus says, if you want to be sons of your father, if you want to be God's children, if you want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then you have to do away with this nonsense, this carnality, this fleshly, natural way of thinking that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. If you want to be God's children, here's what you do. Love your enemies. Because that's the sort of thing that God does. In fact, in fact, that's what the gospel is, isn't it? The Son of God giving himself for his enemies. And who are those? Me and you and the whole world. We were the enemies of God, yet he gave everything for us. So if you want to be his children, if you want his will to be done, not only on earth as it is in heaven, but in your home as it is in heaven, then love your enemies. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now that, that's low down, isn't it? I mean, Jesus just calls it like it is, right? Hey, you know those tax collectors you despise? You know those tax collectors you're afraid of? You know those tax collectors that have sided with the Romans? You know those tax collectors that take money out of your pocket, that take food off of your table, that take things away from your children? Even they love the people that love them. Even they are nice to the people that are nice to them. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You know, all those Gentiles out there, all those other people, all those other nations, all those other ethnicities, all those other people that are always going to war against you, the Romans who oppress you, the Greeks that have done all kinds of abominations to you, you know those Gentiles? They greet people that greet them. They're nice to people that are nice to them. So if that's your standard, how are you any better? If you love your neighbor but you hate your enemy, how are you any different? We're always talking about the world, right? The world, the world does this and the world does that and all of these worldly people. You know what the worldly people do? Love the people that love them. Greet the people that greet them. You know what's supposed to be different about Christians? Is that we love our enemies. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father 
is perfect. And by perfect, Jesus means complete, mature, be like God. Let's go back to our story about Johanna Catanacho. He really struggled with this, as would you, as do you, as do I love your enemies. And every time an Israeli soldier would see him because he was Palestinian, they would call him over. And he was terrified that if he didn't move fast enough, they might hurt him or arrest him or consider him a terrorist. And Jesus was telling Mr. Catanacho, love your enemies. And so here's what he started to do. He printed out on flyers Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 from the Hebrew scriptures that these Israeli soldiers would recognize. Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant. The suffering servant who gave his life for his enemies so that his enemies might be forgiven. Isaiah 53 that points forward to Jesus, our Messiah. And so Johanna would print out Isaiah 53 in both English and in Hebrew. And at the top, he would print real love. This is real love. And at first it was hard. It was hard. And he struggled with this idea of loving these Israeli soldiers that gave him such a hard time. But every time they would call him over, he began to give them a flyer with his ID card. Here's my ID card, and here's a flyer. And because it was printed in Hebrew, and because they recognized the Hebrew scriptures, a lot of times it would begin a conversation with them, and he could begin to tell them about Jesus. And something changed. Something changed. That before long, he said that he got to the point where he wanted them to call him over. They wanted him, they wanted, he wanted them to question him, to say, come over here, show me your ID card, because then it was an opportunity to share what real love was all about. I don't know what loving your enemies will do to them. It might change them, right? It might change an enemy into a friend, if you go to the people that you are afraid of, you're afraid of them, and you love them, and you serve them, and even if they've done something to you, and they've hurt your feelings, or they've hurt you financially, and you love them anyway, it might change them. Your enemies might become your friends, but there's no guarantee of that, is there? Jesus loved his enemies, and they still put him to death. There's no guarantee that loving your enemies will change them, but it will change you. Loving your enemies might not change them, but it will for sure change you. It will change you forever to love your enemies in the name of Jesus. We've got to take this seriously, don't we, church? And think through these words of Jesus. How do we do this? How do we turn the other cheek? 
How do we go the extra mile? How do we give our cloak and our tunic? How do we pray for those who persecute us? How do we bless our enemies the way God blesses him, blesses them? Here's the phrase that I keep thinking of as I think about this passage of scripture. It's this, retaliate with love. That's what Jesus calls us to do, isn't it? Retaliate with love. When someone hurts you, or someone hates you, or someone persecutes you, or someone threatens to do something that puts you in a bad situation, retaliate with love. Retaliate with love. That's what Jesus calls us to do. So I know, I know there are times when you turn on the television and you think those people, those people, whoever those people are, maybe they're people on the right of you politically or on the left of you politically or they're people that you're afraid that they're going to change things or you're afraid that they're going to keep things from being changed or you're afraid that they're going to hurt you financially. Whatever it is, whoever it is, here's what we do. Retaliate with love. And, and especially as men, I'm going to speak specifically to you dads, to us dads. I believe, and maybe, I'm, maybe, maybe you might say I'm being chauvinistic about this, I don't know, but I believe that God made us to be warriors. I believe that God made fathers and husbands to be the commanding generals of our home. And if that's true, if God made us to be warriors, then God also gets to define who's the enemy and what are the rules of engagement. We have to allow God not only to call us to be warriors, but to help us to identify the real enemy. The real enemy is not flesh and blood. We don't wage war against people. It doesn't mean people can't hurt us. It doesn't mean people can't take things from us. It means that the real enemy is Satan. And the rules of engagement, how we deal with the people in this world that are evil, how we deal with the people in this world that are hurtful, is we retaliate with love. That's what we're called to do, church. Because listen, listen, the worst thing the worst thing that your enemy can do to you isn't take something that belongs to you. The worst thing that your enemy can do to you is make you like them. The worst thing that evil can do to you is not hurt you or take from you. The worst thing that evil can do to you is change you so that you participate in evil. So Jesus calls us to break these cycles. We talked last week about these cycles of distrust and deception and how we need to break these cycles of deception and distrust with truth and trust. And there are these cycles of hating our enemies 
these cycles of revenge, these cycles of retaliation. And Jesus doesn't just say, stop retaliating. No, he calls us to an even higher standard and he says, retaliate. But retaliate with love. Find ways to feed your enemy when they're hungry, to give drink to your enemy when they're thirsty, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile. I don't, I don't know what that looks like in your context. I don't know what that looks like in your family's context. Maybe, maybe it starts with prayer. Maybe it just starts with prayer. Maybe there's a group of people locally or globally, nationally, that you're afraid of. And maybe it just starts with realizing that Jesus liberates us from that fear. And you just get on your knees and you pray for them. You pray for the people you're afraid of. And then you find ways as a family to love the people that you're afraid of. To love the people that might change things. To love the people that might keep things from being changed. To love the people who might take what belongs to you. To love the people who have said things and done things that aren't kind and aren't loving. Love them anyway. That's what it looks like to be a family that belongs to the kingdom of heaven. A family that is an embassy of God's kingdom. Work together. Identify your enemy and define the rules of engagement. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to love anyway. Because here's the thing, church, we can't lose, can we? The only way we can lose, the only way we can lose is by failing to follow Jesus. The only way we can lose is by failing to love the people Jesus calls us to lose. We need not fear anyone. We don't have to be afraid because he is with us and this is the life and this is the battle to which he's calling us. So whether your home is made up of one or two or 20, here's our job to go into our neighborhoods, to go into our communities, to go into our cities, to go into our state, to go into our country, to go into our world and love people anyway. Love them whoever they are. Love them no matter what they think. No matter how wrong they are, no matter how wicked they are, no matter how evil they are, love them anyway. Love them no matter what they do to you. Love them no matter what they might do to you. Love them anyway. Retaliate with love. And you say, but it might not work. Yes, it will. It can't fail. It's already won. We're already victorious. It might not change them, but it will for sure change you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Church is hard. It's hard for me. It was hard for Jesus' first century disciples. It's hard for people living all over the world dealing with opposition and harassment that most of us can't even begin to imagine. But it's worth it. That's the thing with faith. It's hard, but it's worth it. So take the next step by faith. Thank you, church, for being here this morning.